Center in 2010 and continues to study with her as well as with Abbott Hozon. He lives with his family in Alameda, and speaking of family, is a family affair because Dave's brother Jiryu, who was a student of Soja Roshi, is the abbot of Green Gulch Farm. Dave, thank you for coming today, and I look forward to hearing your talk, as does everyone else in the universe. Everyone else in the universe. Thank you no so one, much. No one excluded. No one excluded. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? The glasses and the mic. Uh, I'm so, so happy to get to be here um, with all of you to get to uh, practice the way together. So happy to see all of you here in the Zendo. And, um, those faces online in their in their little boxes. Um, but I thank Ross for the, the invitation to speak um, and for all your help this week and uh, the fine points of the forms of this temple. Thank the Abbot and the Tontos for taking um, such good care of the practice of this community. And I started to make a list, actually, of all the people to thank. Um, and I realized it just sort of goes on and on, you know? So uh, a practice place like this, uh, a vibrant community of, of practice, a sangha, but maybe any spiritual community, what, what that means is that it's a group of people that find something really precious and then they take care of it together. Um, that's what Sangha life is. And how lucky we are that we've found something this precious and that we get the opportunity to take care of it together. So uh, some of that is visible. Uh, a lot of that is invisible. It's the millions of little things that we do take care of um, take care of so much you know in in a practical way we take care of the structures and the grounds right um, someone is doing the, the accounting and the finances and the calendaring and the scheduling right in a really crucial way um, you might even say the most important 
thing we take care of, we take care of each other. And um, I guess I mean that in a pretty ordinary way, just with um, our attention to each other, our, our respect and our, our care, do our best to uh, be kind, uh, treat each other with, with dignity. And we take care of the tradition. So we're, we're lucky enough to have inherited this beautiful tradition from our teachers and our elders, and we take care of it so that it can be passed on to future generations. So we take care of the forms of our practice. <clears throat> Every time you bow to your zafu, and then you <clears throat> rotate clockwise and bow to the room, you're taking care of the tradition. And I guess what I was thinking about today, this other piece that we take care of, is we take care of the stories. So what we've inherited is this treasure trove of, of stories. And part of our job is, is to take care of them. Um, and I mean that in a pretty ordinary way. We, we take care of them by telling them by remembering them, by thinking about them, and by keeping them alive. So uh, today I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to start with uh, an old uh, Dharma story, a Dharma encounter. be very familiar um, to many of you. Um, but we tell these stories over and over again because Again, that, the same way we, we, the same way we're kind to each other over and over again. It, it's all the same project of taking care of something important together. So here's the story. Dijon asked Fion, "Where are you going?" Fion said, "Around on pilgrimage." Dijon said, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? Fion said, I don't know. Dijon said, not knowing is most intimate. Where are you going around on pilgrimage? What is the purpose of pilgrimage? I don't know. Not knowing is most intimate. Sometimes we say, not knowing is nearest. This is such a beautiful story. This is a story that lifts up uh, staying close to um, not knowing. There's this whole thread in our tradition about the power and the beauty of not knowing. And, and for me, I'll say even the, even the experience of saying, I don't know, you, you could try it. If, if, you do, if you say or if you imagine to yourself saying, I don't know, I don't know. There's something um, humble for me about it. There's something vulnerable about it. 
And there's something very open. There's something unhindered. Uh, I don't know. Um, there's something vast and open and free in not knowing. And this thread, this, this piece of our tradition, goes all the way back. Um, there's, there's a very important, famous story right at the beginning of the, the Chan tradition, the Zen tradition, you know, Bodhidharma, the great mythological figure that brings the Dharma from India to China. So it's all the way back to the very, very, that's the seed <laughs> of everything we're doing here. Uh, Bodhidharma goes to the emperor, and the emperor says, who are you? Bodhidharma says, I don't know. In the practice period that, that just finished, um, we were studying Zen mind, beginner's mind. And famously, 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 Suzuki Roshi said, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. And Part of why that is, part of my understanding is that, is that the expert knows. And so she's uh, limited by her knowledge. And the beginner doesn't know. And so she's uh, free in her, in her not knowing. I worked with this for a while, this, this idea of not knowing. I had a it's a practice exactly. I guess it's a practice, something I did, that I would, um, whenever I remembered, um, I would take a breath and I would reflect on the fact that I didn't know where my breath came from. I guess I knew where my breath comes from. It comes from, you know, the air in front of me. But I didn't know how it is that I was this breathing being interacting with my environment in this way. I don't know that. Yeah, breathing in and not knowing where that breath comes from is fun. I recommend it. I recommend it as a practice. So this whole thread in the tradition about not knowing, about the power and the importance of not knowing, and I want to say that it's possible to hear this as putting not knowing above knowing. So we hear a teaching, not knowing is most intimate, and it might be possible to think knowing is less intimate. Not knowing is most intimate, knowing must be less intimate. I, it must be, uh, must be ranked in some way. I think it's a little bit more, more subtle than that. So Wan Song, there's a commentary on this old story. Um, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? I don't know. Not knowing is nearest. There's a commentary on that. This is one song. Now, when people hear it said that not knowing is most intimate and that this is where Fion was enlightened, they immediately go over to just not knowing, not understanding. They hardly realize that a phrase of the ancients covers everywhere like the sky supports everywhere like the earth. If not knowing is most intimate, then what about Heze's saying, the one word knowing is the gate of myriad wonders? 
people hear it said that not knowing is most intimate, they immediately go over to just not knowing, not understanding. They hardly realize, sorry, they hardly realize the phrase of the ancients covers everywhere like the sky, supports everywhere like the earth. What about Hesse's saying, the one word knowing is the gate of myriad wonders? So I want to say there's another thread in our tradition um, about knowing, about the power and um, the importance of knowing and knowing precisely. So Dogen Zenji, for example, the great founder of Soto Zen in Japan, brings our, our tradition from China to Japan um, often encourages us uh, to know, to think, to clarify, to understand. I thought I'd look at this, so I, I went to a fascicle of the Shobo Genzo, just one chapter of the Shobo Genzo, and I started underlying passages where Dogen is encouraging us to know. Um, and uh, after about five or six pages, I actually stopped because it, was, it sort of seemed like it's three times a page, but here's a list. This is from one fascicle. A little bit at random, this is from um, uh, Mountain, Mountains and Waters Sutra. And so this is, this is some of Dogen's language here about knowing. Examine this in detail. Penetrate these words. Clearly examine. You should know. <laughs> Study this in detail. Understand this meaning. Study and investigate this thoroughly. Reflect on this. Consider this. No, <laughs> quietly reflect and ponder the meaning of this. Study these words, thoroughly examine the meaning of this. So I sort of trailed off. This is, you know, I don't know, less than a dozen pages, right? So there's this thread of the tradition about not knowing, uh, the open and unhindered way we let go of knowing. But there's this other piece about knowing and knowing precisely. And I want to say, I think that's really important if this Heze's line, the one word knowing is the gate of myriad wonders. You know, the precise, intricate texture of your life, what makes your life your life, your unrepeatable life. Some of that, it's what you know. So I know how my wife, Devin, likes her coffee. I know exactly how she likes it. And it took me, um, it took me a couple years, actually, because you, you got to get it just right. <laughs> I, know, I know what my kids like for breakfast. I'm kind of a, an old doorknob at, at my front door, and um, I know how to unlock that door. Um, but when we have like a cat sitter, <laughs> they can almost never do it. They usually have to go around the back, right? So what makes it my life, the gate of myriad wonders, the wonder of my life are these precise things that I know. And you too. Makes it your life are these um, very particular things that you know perfectly. 
know perfectly. In this same fascicle, in this Mountains and Waters fascicle, um, there's a section where Dogen, Dogen Zenji strongly criticizes the idea that, um, you know, some of these like confusing or difficult or obscure expressions of the ancient teachers, like Linji's shout, you know, this great Zen teacher just shouted, and there can be this idea, oh, we're not supposed to understand that. That just, that's beyond thought. You can't understand Linji's shout. And Dogen, he goes into full-on cranky Dogen mode about that. He, he calls people who, who think that careless fellows, worthless fools, immature, foolish fellows, not even worth discussing, more stupid than animals. You know? <laughs> he really hates that, that idea that you wouldn't know what that shout is um, sort of drives him crazy. He says, even though they do not understand, I don't understand what Linji's shout means, say, even though they do not understand, they should not neglect studying the Buddha ancestors' path of understanding, to try to understand, to try to understand, we should try to know. So we hear that Phion um, had a moment of not knowing that was powerful. And we might think that not knowing uh, is always more powerful or more important than knowing. But that isn't true. We might hear that Dogen is strongly encouraging us to know. So we might think, oh, knowing is always more important than not knowing. But that isn't true. The story is about what's most intimate. Not knowing is most intimate. In that moment, what there was was not knowing. What is the purpose of pilgrimage? I don't know. But of course, uh, it's possible to have a moment. Phion might have had a moment of knowing fully and completely the purpose of pilgrimage. You might have known precisely the purpose of pilgrimage. It would have been possible for Phion to say, where are you going? Around on pilgrimage. What is the purpose of pilgrimage? Phion might have had a moment of knowing. Step after step after step. Dijon would have said, Step after step after step is most of the time. Where are you going? Around on pilgrimage. What is the purpose of pilgrimage? It's like geese flying south for the winter. Geese flying south for the winter is most of the time. Could have gone like this. Where are you going? Around on pilgrimage. What is the purpose of pilgrimage? Silence is most intimate. It isn't about knowing anything or not knowing anything. It's about staying really, really close to what it is that's happening. 
to say there's this idea, this really beautiful phrase about our zazen practice. Many of you have heard it. It's the title of a, a book about zazen. Right? Opening the hand of thought. Opening the hand of thought. Letting go of thought. And of course, if you can open a hand, you can close a hand. Right? You close the hand to, to grip the incense and offer it to the Buddha. And then you let go. And then you close on the next thing, and then you let go. That's our way, is the way the hand of thought opens and closes in accordance with conditions uh, for the benefit of beings. Nan Chuan, a great teacher, said, um, the way is not in knowing or in not knowing. Way is not in knowing or in not knowing. He didn't say this, but I'll say this. The way is of intimacy. The way is in dearness. Sometimes we know. Sometimes we don't know. And I think when we study this really, really closely, when, when we feel really closely into what it's like to know and what it's like to not know, I think we discover that, that it's really complex, that it's really um, intricate, actually. It, it's really sort of kaleidoscopic. Um, when we become intimate with knowing and not knowing, I think it's possible to see that, um, that knowing and, and not knowing in some way interpenetrate. In some way, they, um, they contain each other. Um, so this really, this really clarified for me. I had this insight once. Um, so my dad is is a really good mechanic. He's a really good car mechanic. Um, it's not how he made his living, but he was just um, just really understands engines. You know, so when I was a kid, he was always fixing somebody's car. You know, as I was the neighbor's car or a friend's car. <laughs> The neighbor's friend's car. It was up. He, was, he, he liked doing it. It was an act, I think, of, of generosity for him, you know? And um, uh, I am not a good mechanic. I don't understand how, how engines work. I wish I'd paid more attention, you know? It could have been a useful skill, but, you know, you rebel. I like went inside to read poetry or something. <laughs> you rebel against whatever's offered. But, um, uh, so one of the things I realized, though, that in, in, as, a, as a mechanic, in a car, the, the difference was between me, who does not know how to fix an engine, and my dad, who does know how to fix an engine, is that he knows, I get this just right, he knows how to not know in that field. That's what mastery in a field is. So he opens the engine, opens the hood, and it doesn't work. When I start with me, I open the hood and it doesn't work, and I like freak out. I, I don't know how to not know that. Does that make sense? I, I don't know how it doesn't work, and I just I shut down, I'm done, you know? I remember watching him once, and um, he was trying stuff. He went all the way to the auto parts store, got a part, came back, put it in, it just still didn't work. So, like, I would have, like, you know, just bagged the whole thing, you know? You know what he did, right? Like, he went back to the auto parts store, got another part. Like, he knew how to. Uh, how to not know. So I think mastery, or you could say intimacy, intimacy in a field, in some 
field of human activity is knowing how to not know, knowing what it is that's important to know and knowing what it is that you'll sort of figure out as you go, right? So the fields I'm not experienced in, I'm not intimate with, like fixing engines, I don't know how to not know. I don't know how it works, and I just, that's it, end of story. I can't hold it. I open the hand of thought, but then I just sort of freak out. I don't then like close the hand of thought to try something and open the hand of thought to let go and then close it to try something and open it to let go. I'm not intimate with that field of endeavor. Um, so that's true for me in lots of things. I would say anything I'm not good at that, or not experienced with. I don't want to say good, just not experienced with. It's okay that that's, you know, I'll ask my dad to fix the car. <laughs> He knows how to move freely between knowing and not knowing in that field, right? So it's really important for me. That was a really, that was a big insight. And, and, and I realized the things that I am more intimate with, um, you know, I make my, my living, my livelihood, I'm a, um, I'm a therapist, I'm a psychotherapist. And I remember at the beginning of kind of working with clients, like someone would come in and, why do people go to therapists, you know? I mean, usually something hard, something, um, I worked for about a decade in, in hospice, and, you know, objectively awful things are, are happening. And, and at the beginning, I, I, I sort of, I would, I, would, I would worry sometimes like that I had to know sort of how to help or something, that it, it seemed impossible to help or, Anyway, it seemed impossible to know how to help. And, and then over time, what happened is I, I, I learned, or people taught me, how to not know, you know, or, or to know the things that are important. I know some general things, but whatever helps, there'll probably be some kindness in it, probably take some patience, and, you know. Um, but I don't know what's going to help a particular, like, how could I? <laughs> you know, like, we, we'll, we'll get there. So... I guess I'd be curious, you know, you, you, you might test this in, in the areas of your life where there's real intimacy with some, some activity. You know, I suspect that you move pretty freely between knowing and not knowing, right? And, and in the, the areas of your life where there's just less experience, you probably jam up, right? You don't know something and you think you should know it, and you're like, you know, it, it, you don't have the, the capacity in that field to, to hold the intricate, mysterious uh, interpenetration of these, of these things. So knowing and not knowing uh, interpenetrate each other. They include each other. You pick up knowing and somehow mysteriously not knowing is there. You pick up not knowing and somehow mysteriously knowing is there. I'm going to say just, just a little bit more. I think I'm going a little, a little farther, if that's okay. 
So I say that actually everything is like this. This isn't only about a moment of knowing that it somehow includes not knowing, a moment of not knowing that it somehow includes knowing. Actually, any moment of our life in some way contains or includes or is inseparable from everything else, from everything else. When we're intimate with one thing, we are actually intimate with all things. I've become interested in the last couple of years in a um, school of, of, of Buddhism, of, in, in Tendai Buddhism. And um, Tendai is, is interesting because Tendai is kind of the background or the context that our tradition comes out of. Also, you know, Dogen ordained as a, he was a Tendai monk. And he, and he trained as a Tendai monk for, for many years. So his, his religious formation was in the Tendai school. So um, part of what was really fun for me about, about learning a little more about Tendai, um, certainly not an expert on Tendai, but just learning a little bit about it was, was all these things that I thought Dogen had gonna come up with. <laughs> It's just Tendai, you know? You, you can sort of, you, you make Dogen a little bit more transparent. You can sort of see through him uh, to the tradition. Um, so one of, one of the places that I, that I learned about this is a really wonderful scholar and writer. Um, I'm such a big fan of hers. Um, her name's Jacqueline Stone. She's a professor of, um, I think of Japanese religion at, at Princeton or someplace, um, a real expert on like Tendai and Nichiren Buddhism, but, um, but really more broadly, uh, Japanese Buddhism. Uh, was it last year or two years ago when, when, when we studied the Lotus Sutra stories, some of us read, she along with, um, was it with Donald Lopez, right? Um, yeah, with Donald Lopez. Had a, had, has, has written a book um, about the Lotus Sutra called Two Buddhas Seated Side by Side, which is really accessible, really nice like introduction to the Lotus Sutra, and some of us read that. Um, she's also got this really, this other really wonderful book called um, Right Thoughts at the Last Moment. This is about deathbed practices in, in medieval Japan and the whole sort of culture around um, the importance of what was happening at, at, in the last moments of a person's life. Um, I'll say in general, I have so much gratitude for these, um, for these scholars of our tradition. You know, it, it isn't exactly our way, and, and um, uh, I think that's fine, and I don't think we all need to go become scholars, actually. I think it, it's important that we're not. Um, but, you know, we inherit this ocean of Dharma, and, um, no, I don't, I don't speak Japanese, I don't, I don't speak Chinese, I don't speak Sanskrit. I don't, I, I need help. <laughs> and um, uh, these, these folks who devote their lives, you know, it's in a different mode than us, but they're devoting their lives to the Dharma, translating texts and studying the sort of historical social contexts. Um, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of Jacqueline Stone. Um, and she wrote this book, though, uh, called Original Enlightenment and the Transformation of Medieval Japanese Buddhism. Original Enlightenment and the Transformation of Medieval Japanese Buddhism. And it's kind of a tone. It's probably not for everybody, you know, but if you're, if you're into this sort of thing, 
It's really, really good. It's really helpful for me in this way that it put Dogen kind of into the trend, into the tradition, right? Into the flow of uh, the way the Buddha Dharma is transmitted generation after generation. So there's this idea in Tendai. Uh, it's called Ichinen Sanzen. Ichinen Sanzen uh, means single thought moment comprising 3,000 realms. A single thought moment comprises 3,000 realms. So my understanding of that, of that, I think what that means is a single thought moment. So not a particularly exalted thought moment, not a moment in samadhi or like in a Buddha's consciousness, but just, you know, me, grumpy, with a stomach ache or something, thinking something. And it's then, so the tiniest moment, the, the, the shortest conceivable moment of that thought comprises the 3,000 realms. And um, so we get in the weeds of that, but it basically, <laughs> everything that exists from like every possible perspective. So any, any moment of your life, uh, uh, contains in some way everything there is in every possible way uh, that is. Every realm in, in this kaleidoscopic relationship, and it's all right here in a moment of knowing or in a moment of not knowing. So this is the field of, of our practice, of all our practices. Um, this realm where each particular moment contains absolutely everything uh, and is also utterly, completely itself. It's possible to know and to have that moment of knowing contain everything. It's possible to not know, to have that moment of not knowing contain everything. And what matters most is intimacy with whatever is happening, whatever is happening right now. The full expression of whatever is happening right now in openness and vastness and freedom. So for you, in this moment, what's nearest? What's most intimate? What is it that's actually occurring in your body, in your mind, in your heart? That's your practice. You could say that's our practice. We could say that's our life. So I feel like I talked for a pretty long time. And um, I wonder if anyone um, here in the room or online has something they'd like to say. Or, yeah, luminous heart. Thank you very much. And for that opening definition of um, Sangha, that we, uh -huh. find, we all find something precious and then we take care of it is mm. a, a wonderful way to mm. Sangha. Mm. 
So I'm, I'm very interested in this uh, not knowing. Mm -hmm. And I, I once had a greeting card that said to understand is to stand under. Mm -hmm. And there's a way for me yeah. that holds us well with, with knowing or not knowing. Mm -hmm. It seems to me, I'd, I'd like to hear you on this, that um, even if you know fully how your wife likes her coffee, mm -hmm. you yeah. really know it, it is possible that yeah. there's going to come a day when her biochemistry will change or her taste mm -hmm. buds will change mm -hmm. and it'll be different. Yeah. And so uh, it, it seems to me that not knowing is really holding a very gentle curiosity, mm -hmm. even, even in the presence of something that you kind of do really yeah. know. Oh, can you reflect a little bit on that? I, I love that. Thanks for that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It, with that, I feel like what, what, what you're pointing to is again that, that, it, that it's intimacy that matters the most. And that'll show up as knowing, like, oh, hey, I know. And then there will be a day it shows up at not knowing. She says, you know, could you put a little more half and half in there? Or um, so it's like what matters is, what matters is nearness. Right? And, and I think that's right. I think we can get stuck in, in knowing. But I think we get stuck in not knowing. Right? I think there's a kind of numbness or a kind of checked out vagueness that actually is not our way, is not our way. Our way is very, very precise. Um, but, but that it's held lightly, that, it, that it's held with freedom, I, I really appreciate. And that it changes. Maybe you're pointing to the fact that it, that it changes over time, or at least it has the potential to change over time because it's alive. Yeah, and that's you. the openness that you were also referring to. Yeah. I think curiosity and openness, mm -hmm. even within any moment of knowing. Yeah, I sure think so. Yeah, Joel. Hi, thank you so much. Beautiful talk. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I, I thought it was terrific when you're trying to fix a car something goes something doesn't work and you freeze yeah. so you're not at that moment mm -hmm. you know or able to be in a state of not knowing and that totally happens with me with mechanics and above all with computers mm -hmm. yeah i just want to you know, see how you practice with that. Mm. You work with that when it happens. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. So that's that's like jammed up, not knowing, right? That's not free, not knowing. That's jammed up, not knowing. And you can have jammed up knowing too, right? Where you think you know and you're jammed up there. I guess my understanding of our way is, is that it's not exactly to, to try to get out of it. Like, I'm not great at engines. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, um, so it's not exactly to try to not be jammed up. Um, we're, we're, it's such a subtle understanding, our way, you know? It, it's putting the intimacy there. It's being intimate with the experience of being jammed up <laughs> about engine. You know, it's like it works with it works with everything. It's not like oh, you can only be intimate with some kinds of experiences. 
So when we jam up, and a lot of us do, I do think maybe over time we grow up a little bit and get, you know, it's a little bit easier. I mean, I, I could probably fix an engine if I like, really needed to. You know what I mean? Like, there's Google. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, there's something about putting the intimacy there. Does that make sense, Joel? Does that? It does make sense. Of course, in a sense, the intimacy is always there. Yeah. We don't realize it. We don't, uh, we forget it. And then uh, the intimacy gets frozen at that So at the moment, that moment, I mean, it seems to me what we need to know is some, or recognize that indeed we're frozen and that that's okay. And how, how do you, like, if you needed to, you could fix the car. From the of being frozen, what able to then be unfrozen? So, Joel, you, we, I think we lost a little bit of that. But uh, okay. Uh, you have a moment of not knowing. Mm-hmm. And well, you have a moment of freezing. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you become comfortable with that freezing. And that then you're not freezing, frozen, and you can try to fix the car. And so what's your experience or advice about getting from one to the other? Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Nothing's actually frozen. Yeah. So there's no advice. It's just, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lori, in the um, Thank you. This was a wonderful journey, uh, and this is sort of along the lines of the kaleidoscopic mm-hmm. aspect. I was, I've been thinking, I've been flashing on this thing about. Oh. Sorry, they didn't hear that beginning. Sorry, Lori. So, uh, just about the different kinds of knowing. Yeah. I'm just going to stand up so I project more. Um, you know, I'm in a, in a situation where someone wants some advice and they're trying to decide between two things. Yeah. And so you, you have to weigh the pros and cons, yeah. which is sort of in the realm of knowing, like mm-hmm. you know this is a pro, and you know, but then you still don't know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I often will, I find myself, especially with my kids, you know, saying, do you have a deeper mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. of what you are meant yeah. to do here? Like, don't just keep trying to weigh these pros and cons. Yeah. Like. And I don't know where I don't know is in the middle there, maybe mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go deeper, you know, mm-hmm. to some kind of deeper knowledge. So that just yeah. like, I riff on what yeah. you said, but I'm happy to hear what you have to say. Just that, that, that I love that. I mean, I think that's, a, it, in a way, that's an example of here you're picking up this moment of like this decision and seeing kind of contains everything. Like it, knowing deeper, it's got 
deeper and deeper and deeper layers. <laughs> um, but yeah, as just a, um, a matter of maturing as people, I, I do think that that kind of pro and con knowing isn't the most helpful about the important decisions in our life, right? So deciding whether to take a job or break up with someone, right? Some, you know, sometimes the advice is like make pro or con lists, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's, it's, it's worthless. It's, you're just making it up. Like it's got nothing to do with, with your actual life. So yeah, there's all different kinds of, of knowing. I love that. Thank you. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so I recently heard someone, it might have been Hosan, say that he thought of why was generally a bad Zen question and how is a good Zen question. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, in the story, it's, the question is why do you go on pilgrimage? Mm -hmm. And the answer is I don't know. Mm -hmm. If the question had been how do you go on pilgrimage, mm -hmm. there, there would have been an answer because mm -hmm. there, are, there are forms, mm -hmm. there are things you do. Mm -hmm. And I, I think where that distinction comes up for me a lot is in creative work, uh, uh, writing, which is what mm -hmm. I do. You know, I, I have a set of techniques, I know how to use them, but when the work is at its best, I don't know why I'm doing it necessarily. I don't know what I'm moving toward. And um, and, and the interest see that, you know, comes out of that is I think, you know, you end up revealing parts of yourself, you know, very deep parts of yourself you didn't even know were there. Um, and it's, you know, it's not just creative work. I think it works for fixing an engine too, but something about the particular status of that is, you know, I think something about the close relation between Zen and the arts is, is related to that. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. And it's true, why, why is a question that sort of lends itself to a kind of cognitive or abstract sort of knowing, um, which isn't the, the necessarily the, the most alive thing. I, I, there's a, a teacher I knew who used to say, whenever someone in a talk <laughs> Asked why, which is say every time I don't answer my questions. I'm just going to the next. Yeah, I don't answer my questions. <laughs> yeah, please. Well, I found your talk very helpful for me, uh, but now this why. <laughs> so it's because it helped me with the why. Mm -hmm. I think why do I practice? Mm -hmm. And it's been hard for me to answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, I know on a superficial level, but I feel like I haven't come up with a good answer. And today, you gave me the answer. Oh. Um, so this is my answer, in case mm -hmm. you ask that question. Mm -hmm. And I, I like what you said about I practice to be intimate with all things. Mm -hmm. That really works for me. Mm -hmm. That intimacy, mm -hmm. everything. Thank you very much. Yeah, question. These days I feel pretty enthusiastic about not knowing, and so mm -hmm. I appreciate your provocation around uh, the importance of knowing, and it has me wondering, for example, like what, what we even mean when mm -hmm. we use that word knowing, or what, yeah, what does it feel like to know? to think that I know, or I love Lori's question about there's different kinds of knowing, and um, yeah, in that vein, when you were sharing some of those phrases from Dogen's fascicle, mm. uh, in my mind, there was, 
it feels like there's a difference between some of those words Dogen or the translator was using, like examining, clarifying, studying. Those words feel a little bit different to me than knowing. I feel like the, the studying, the examining, it feels a little more like process oriented or a kind of curiosity, whereas knowing feels like I've arrived somewhere. And yeah, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that distinction you're making. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate it. It makes a lot of sense to me, you know. Um, and I appreciate where you started. It's like once, and, and I think this is just how the universe is, you know, the kind of Avatam Saka Sutra vision, just everything reflecting and everything. So if you take something like knowing, <laughs> so it's just one little, and once we start to talk about it, it sort of melts. It's like, what, what are we even talking about? It, 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 we, that, that's not because knowing is special. We, we could have done that about, like, say a word, you know? We could have picked that up. And we just feel, and, and next, thing, next thing you know, we're, we're somewhere else. Um, because that's just the way the universe is. So, yeah, we start with knowing. But you're right, there's something, I do think the invitation in Dogen is to, is to intimacy, actually. So... I'm aware, I think we're, we're, we're coming up on that, that end. Is it, is it okay to have maybe, Ross, one, one more, you think? Is that, yeah, sure. yeah, please. Um, there's a quotation from Einstein that I love, mm. and I resisted the impulse to pull out my phone and get the exact quotation mm. during your lecture, but mm. uh, instead I will do my best to paraphrase it. Mm. Einstein said, I used to be an atheist, but now I'm an agnostic because I understand the limitation of our knowledge of the universe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the hum, he, he may have used the word humility, I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly, but anyway, he, he was much more humble about his own understanding of the universe. So he switched from being an atheist to an agnostic. And that is, um, love that. Yeah, thank you for that. That's beautiful. There, the, yeah, the humility and sort of the openness to mystery, right? There's something about not knowing it that just feels honest. This is true. Does it feel okay to, to stop? 